Welcome to Climify, the podcast that connects climate scientists and design educators together so that we can help combat our climate crisis in our classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals, but also can have a positive impact on our climate. This episode is brought to you by Renourish. Renourish is your one-stop online resource for sustainable design and systems thinking strategies and tools for the graphic designer. You can learn more about Renourish on their website at re-nourish.org, or you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook at Renourish. Welcome to Climify. I'm Eric Benson, and I'll be your host this season as we talk to climate experts from all over the world to help us design educators fight the climate crisis in our classrooms. And yes, I'm also a design educator. I've been teaching for 15 years here at the University of Illinois. But even if you're not a design educator listening to this show, there's so much useful information jam-packed in each that you too can learn how to do your part to help reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Today on Climify, I'm joined by Akila Stewart, the founder of FATRA, which is a creative waste design company working towards integrating plastic and textile waste back into the production process to reduce pollution and increase holistic wellness. FATRA is pioneering the use of alternative materials in closed loop design systems. FATRA, which is a Haitian Creole word for trash, is a global leader in the sustainable fashion movement and continues to challenge mainstream ideas while fostering an evolution of radical elegance and eclectic statement pieces. Akila teaches formally at Parsons while also conducting waste design workshops for different institutions here in the U.S. and abroad. Her company, FATRA, is committed to a cleaner, safer, more equitable fashion industry and environment overall. You can learn more about Akila Stewart at HiFatra.com. That's H-I-F-A-T-R-A.com. You can also find her on Facebook and Instagram at HiFatra. It's, it's nice to meet you, and I'm glad that uh, we were able to get this all scheduled because I know there was uh, some stuff going on in between as life throws us curveballs all the time. So, <laughs> actually, as an entrepreneur, yeah, never I can stop. imagine. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Um, I'm I'm excited that um, we got this all set up and we have a chance to talk for uh, a little while today. And so let's just get right to it. Um. I want to know a little bit more about about you and and what you do and uh, where you do it there in uh, New York. Awesome. So yeah, hi guys. My name is Akila Stewart. Um, I am the founder and creator of Fatra. Fatra is a Haitian Creole word that means waste, which is basically what we use to reintroduce back into production um, to keep from polluting landfills and environmental destruction and as well as like leave a lot of social justice issues. Um, we work out of New York. So currently we have uh, handbags, the recycled plastic bottle bag um, made from recycled plastic bottles and um, recycled leather. 
Um, we have bags on bags using plastic bags and leather. Um, so yeah, creating luxury goods with what normally would be waste, um, trying to keep the lifespans a little bit longer and um, yeah, just create beautiful pieces. Where do you get a lot of your raw materials? Do you go collect them yourself or do you get donations, both? No, no, <laughs> um, not anymore, thank God, anyway. Um, generally, we work with a lot of local organizations and local companies that run through lots and lots of plastics. Um, also, I have like all of my friends collecting their household plastics. I mean, it's really not that hard of a thing to do. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. But yeah, generally teaming up with local businesses, uh, specifically Tainted Love in Brooklyn. Um, shout out Tainted Love, um, <laughs> as well as um, our local bodega actually down the block. And yeah, just it's something that's really dope because you get to work with businesses and then they're also a little bit more cognizant of like, wow, you know, we actually can stop using this much and we'll still give you these bottles, but we can actually transfer. We can find something else that doesn't have so much plastic. And I, I love that they're being, you know, they actually think about those things now. Yeah, um, so it seems like you made a dent in some of their, you know, waste stream. Oh, for sure. And grateful for great storage <laughs> to hold it all because <laughs> in the beginning, yeah, like you said, when I was chasing all of the waste after a while, I was like, oh gosh, where am I going to, you know, as people started to know me, you know, everywhere I went, there was like, oh wait, we got something for you. Um, so then it's like, oh gosh, where am I going to put all this stuff? You know, um, some, sometimes it's like, oh, we have pounds, we have pounds of. Yeah. Where oh, do you put gosh. it? Uh, well, we have storage. Okay. Not in your apartment yeah. or anything in the corner. Yeah. I mean, I can barely <laughs> hold on this rack of leather here. Yeah. Back in the day, I was making some, some furniture out of those coffee sleeves that you'd get when you order. Um, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. 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 The corrugated ones. And I had to dumpster dive to get them. Um, and that wasn't fun. But I got a lot of them. And so my apartment was full of coffee sleeves. It was, it smelled interesting. I'll say that. And I'm sure cardboard already has a very interesting smell. Yeah. I do when you go to warehouses and it's just lots of cardboard or even when I use the cardboard because I generally ship my things and recycle cardboard. So yet again, I go to businesses when they, once they flatten their boxes um, and I use that to ship my items in. Um, but yeah, those, those back rooms, interesting yeah, yeah. combine <laughs> that with like the burnt coffee smell from starbucks and it's it's kind of kind of rancid after a while but so basically my um the whole idea of fascia is to create more infrastructure so that people don't have to go to those extreme lengths and you just create um or you know just create uh, a point where you can already interject like the company is already going to um, funnel those goods through a program or an organization which is Fletcher. So there's lots of places that have tons and tons of waste. It's just to have the ideas, the creative ideas to keep coming up with new products or new uses for them that is going to be, that has longevity. And also, you know, it's not just going to contribute to creating another product that will also lead to waste after one time. So definitely creating products that you can reuse at least three times. So you're not only creating products, you're creating the system as well. Yeah, it's, um, that's the most important part. I think, 
um, that's a lot of what kind of made me create Fatra is because I was living in Hawaii and I saw a lot of people talking about zero waste, zero waste, zero waste. And for me, zero waste is a myth. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, <laughs> every living organi- organism creates waste. That's just the reality. Um, from yeah. our cellular structures to, you know, animals, humans. It's just that we've started to create waste at such a rate because of the disposability society that we're living in. So I think that ultimately what we need to do is much like nature and take the waste and reintroduce it back into our lives in some way, shape, or form, as well as look at where or analyze where we're having the most waste and how we can mitigate that in the beginning of design process versus trying to um, see where we're going to put all the waste, especially since now thank God the global majority is pushing back and saying, we don't want sheer waste. So now we really have to kind of figure out, well, what are we going to do with it? It it forces us to kind of look at our own actions and look at our own uh, manufacturing production and seeing, you know, Hey, this is really a broken system. So definitely looking at more creative ways to integrate it because that's what nature does. And nature doesn't quite have um, those those same types of issues, or even when our body has that types of issue, when cells are not being, are wasting and maybe it's getting into the bloodstream, then we become sick. So that's just with, with everything. We just need to figure out a healthy way to deal with our waste versus trying to say zero waste, zero waste. I feel like we definitely go to extremes in Sounds like the new society. greenwashing term, right? Zero waste <laughs> is becoming like a greenwashing term. Um, I mean, everything is becoming a greenwashing term at this point, <laughs> honestly. Um, but I mean, I just think overall the whole idea of it is not logical. It's not logical. How are you going to create zero waste? So you mean mm-hmm. even just from a bodily function, so you're never going to excrete? like so you're never going to like it just it just doesn't make sense to me and I just (laughs) I also think that's why people are very discouraged from trying to be more sustainable because they see how hard it is to be zero waste and it just discourages them from doing anything at all but I'm just here to let you know that I think zero waste is a myth and do what you can where you can and just make smarter decisions when you can. And I think if you're already thinking about it, that, that, that's already a start for sure. That clip is really good advice because I I know personally, I'm always disappointed. Every Tuesday is my like garbage day in my neighborhood. And I always feel like I'm failing every time I walk it out to the curb because I know I can do better. Right. I mean, it's just, I can, it's a constant, you know, thing. And I want to walk out nothing, you know, that's my, you know, that's my dream is like, I don't have to worry about taking things out to the curb because, you know, but it's, it can't cause the system's not set up. It, it's not set no. up. It's not no. set up. And if you, if you, you know, judge yourself or, you know, hold yourself to that standard, I think, I think people are too hard on themselves and not hard enough on corporations, too hard on themselves and not hard enough on the the lack of options or, you know, even just the lack of 
um, consent that we have on what we receive. When someone mails me something or ships something, you know, they ship it with all of this stuff and I didn't Mm -hmm. even consent to. So, you know, um, I think that we have to really hone in on our power when it comes to these brands and let them know, hey, you know, we really, we really don't want it and try to refuse or look for other options where we can. And I think that's, that's a major thing. If you just took one thing that you normally buy in your household all the time that comes with lots of plastic and search for an alternative, just slashing that one thing is going to already help with um, one supporting another business, which most likely is a small business because small businesses actually have the time and resources to um, look for things that are meaningful and healthy and impactful for the customer versus just trying to make a bottom line. Mm -hmm. So I think that if we just replace one thing within our household or one thing within our normal activity, we're already on on a path of doing something different. I think that sends a message, you know, to hey, you know, if you don't do it the way that we want it to, it done, then we'll look elsewhere, which I think should be done anyway. Like when you step out to your left and your right in your community, you're not you're not seeing, you know, the owners of Target. You're not seeing, you know, these people <laughs> who really just don't give a fuck about what they're how they're producing or making these products at all. You know, no shade to Target or no shade to whatever brands. Um, but, you know, when people let, look out to their left and their right and they see me and they see, you know, the owner of Tainted Love and the owner of, you know, these other places, I think in New York especially, that's another reason that I love living here is that it still kind of supports that mom and pop. Whereas like, you know, when I go to Florida or I visit my parents, you know, it's it's box chained out. Yeah. You, know, you can't Florida. really find, yeah, you can't really find too much um, mom and pop anymore. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, I like your advice too about doing one thing. I've I've decided that I'm going to start with my bathroom, and so like I have no plastic. You know, I use the I'm I can use bar soap, but I've heard it's getting better. So people with longer hair, different textures of hair, can use the bar shampoo. I should say. So I've been able to get rid of all the plastic products in my my bathroom, including toothpaste and toothbrush and so I feel uh, you know I feel good about that but still like on Tuesday on Tuesday I still feel guilty going out to (laughs) I mean yeah no you shouldn't because so I always talk about (laughs) positive reinforcement versus um, fear-based reinforcement or just negative or pessimistic reinforcement and that guilt is not going to make you work harder or look for other types of alternatives that guilt is actually going to stop you where you are stunt your growth stunt your progress and say fuck it I'm not doing enough Mm -hmm. so do more positive reinforcement you've done your bathroom that's amazing like you know what I mean yeah you know that's amazing and I think from there you sit I think also once you start thinking about it, you, you start to see other products all the time. Like, oh, wow, there's there's also this, there's also that, you know. So you've done your bathroom. That's, that's awesome. That's amazing. And um, yeah, just keep going and celebrate each step. Celebrate each product that you replace, honestly, because having that shame and guilt, it's just going to create a stagnant flow and you're not going to feel as good where actually you should feel amazing because to do that, 
within a place that everything is plastic yeah you're doing amazing <laughs> yeah and I think designers too can take that same strategy right with you know they're working for maybe they're working for a client or something and they can um celebrate a success where they eliminate you know they change the way that that client does whatever they're doing for the better right oh definitely but I mean that's uh you you get into the gray point because I talk about this all the time and we're talking about creativity and um <laughs> viability right like we we're always looking to make money mm-hmm. when you're talking you can create, but a lot of times only so far, especially when you're within these companies that just basically want to increase the bottom line. Um, so yeah, it gets sticky for sure. I mean, I think just putting it on the designer is is also, it's hard. Any individual is hard. We really have to focus on the system. We have to focus on the, the larger um, web that keeps us in that thing. The designer, I'm sure, could, could, could have created thousands of options however we're probably kept to this many options you know what I mean because of making money so um but I also think that at least as designers we can challenge we can push back we can um you know we can recommend I think there's definitely that option if if they're saying stay within this um you know this plastic range or within these limits we can always do that but also show the benefits of not doing that i think always bringing it to the table is the best option as designers not just um complying or not Mm -hmm. just you know going with the flow but actually introducing something that maybe they never had the time or never had the desire to actually want to sit down and learn about so Yes, designers can have a certain type of impact for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you said the right word too, learning. Like that's the key. Like we, if you're a designer, you need to learn more about this or else you can't really do what you just suggested because, you know, you don't have the the, the skill set that, you know, the the tool set up there in your head to, to push back, right? You know, if you're just exactly. used to complying all the time. Uh, I want to I want to ask you um, about your time in Hawaii because I think that when you said you learned the term zero waste, um, when was that for you in your life? Were you really little? Because I'm I'm always intrigued by how people <laughs> how people get on this journey, you know. Because I got no. on this journey, you know, where I'm like dedicated for the rest of my life, you know, to fight, you know, the, the climate issues and inequality. I'd love but, to also but, hear about that as well on your yeah. end. Eric, like, what made you make your denim bags? Like, you know, like, let me know about that. Um, No, I lived in Hawaii. I think I moved to Hawaii. What is this, 2021? It is. Um, I want to say 2014 to 2018. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I lived in Hawaii from 2014 to 2018 moved to Italy 2019 and then I came back to New York for the last few years 19 20 21 yep that's actually Hawaii to Italy to New York yeah I'm Um, jealous I'm really jealous of this oh no need I mean everyone is the (laughs) captain of their own lives so you can do it too that's true yeah so what about it um uh, when did you encounter that term was it something that 
was it someone you met was it just well I mean living on an island that is you know (laughs) surrounded by water as well as having very high tourism rates tourists tend to treat places with a little less dignity and respect as people who actually live somewhere I mean Hawaii is a very politically layered place in general um but I think, you know, local Hawaii, local people living in Hawaii definitely was very fed up with the amount of, you know, floaty waste, believe it or not, you know, you go out to the beach, you have great times on the floaty and leave the floaties. The beach has floaties, um, the beach has plastic bottles, then we have straws and we have, you know, an, an abundance of wild sea um, marine life. And it just interferes with all of that. And it also interferes with how local people get to live, you know, as well as being bombarded with lots of tourists and um, kind of playing second fiddle because tourism brings in a lot of money for the island. Um, So I think that while there, the people were just kind of fed up and, you know, they were like zero waste, you know, we need zero waste. We need to take care of the beaches more. We need to take care. We don't want our marine life dying. You know, it's something that's very in your face when you're on on an Island in the middle of the ocean, the Pacific, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's kind of where I came to learn about that term. However, that's not the first introduction to zero waste or reuse that's in my life. I mean, I think, as a daughter of two immigrant parents from the Caribbean, it's just what you do. It's very cultural. It's a cultural um, aspect to be quote unquote sustainable. Um, And I just, I honestly, it's very saddening and disheartening because indigenous people have already had these practices forever. And not only have they only had these practices forever, such as local um, indigenous Hawaiian peoples, indigenous people to the Caribbean, indigenous people all over the world have their practices, but those practices were also taken and demonized, called barbaric, called backwards. And then it was stolen, repackaged, and then resold as sustainability. Hmm. So that's what makes me flip shit over. Yeah, wow. And not only now that the idea, that cultural aspect of sustainability has been stolen, um, demonized, it has been repackaged, whitewashed, and now the same people who already always had those practices cannot even get the platform that it is that they deserve. And I think it's just kind of funny that, um, you know, we're talking about climate change and everyone needs to be on board. However, we're still going to the same people. When I look at a lot of sustainability spaces and climate change spaces, it's a whole bunch of white people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what in the hell do y'all know about climate change? And <laughs> what in the hell do y'all know about sustainability? Because ultimately, the people who have been foraging or stewards of the land are indigenous people. So if we want to really correct the trajectory of where we're going, we need to go back to those people and ask them for their knowledge and accept their experience as truth. And also accept that for for a very, very long time, we were had to be sustainable out of sheer necessity because we were locked out, there were, you know, whites only doctors, whites only food, whites only, whites only. So we had to create for ourselves. We had to do for ourselves, for our survival. And being that we could be carried over on ships, cross the world, cross the nation, 
came here um, enslaved and still thrive, there has to be something in that. There has to be right. something that worked. There has to be something that, how did we survive? How did we take care of ourselves? How did we um, sow the seeds? How do we take care of the land? How do we use um, local medicines? How did we do those things? But that that conversation is kind of left out of the sustainability space. And that is mm -hmm. why I cannot take a lot of what's happening within this space because they're looking at uh, branches of issues and not root issues. And unless we get to the root of issues, we can never really talk about the offset of what's happening. We're saying, oh, there's climate change. Oh, well, can we talk about deforestation? <laughs> can we talk about overfishing? Can we talk about how much um, pollutants and off-run is coming into soil? Can we talk about um, industrial farming? Um, and these practices were not indigenous practices. Who right. introduced these practices and where did they come from? That's how we've gotten where we are. And we need to kind of unravel and go back so that we can get to the root and then we can create something new. But just saying, oh, uh, fast fashion or, you know, don't eat meat. You know, all these things is like, they're very trivial solutions to a very deep rooted issue that began not there. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> well, that's, that hit me, you know, it's like uh, the decolonizing sustainability, right? That, that comes to mind as something that needs to be done, right? Or, or even, even uh, deeper than that, right? It's, how do you do that? What, what, what can we do as... Um... Well, you start with verbiage. What is sustainability? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, well, what is it? <laughs> I mean, there's so many definitions, right? And, you know, what I mean, is... is there? Is there so like many... In all the, like, academic <laughs> literature and you read, exactly. like, the UN report, and they have different definitions of it, right? So it's a problem. It's a huge problem because... If when I say tree, you're thinking shrub and I, <laughs> and I describe and I'm like, and it's tall and branchy and you're thinking shrub, you're like, you know, our solutions are going to be very different. Your, your solution is going to be for a shrub, a bush, mm -hmm. short, wide. My solution may be for uh, a red oak, tall, long. Mm -hmm. It's so if we're not talking about if we're not describing sustainability as the same thing as being inclusive yeah and and using language that everyone can understand and using experiences that everyone can relate to whose grandmother didn't have the cookie container that also was you know holding other things who's mm -hmm you know, person who didn't take the shirt that had the holes and now, you know, you use it to wipe your floor, wipe your mirrors, wipe off things. That is what sustainability, not, you know, $400 dresses made of or organic cotton coming from the, the mountaintops of the Himalaya. Yo, we yeah. have to really get to the root of what we're talking about. And we have to use, utilize language that is inclusive and not only that but the examples of what sustainability is has to be one that already shows what people are already doing 
is good and we just need more of that not making people think that they need to have a whole new life or a whole new um um social economic status in order to be sustainable mm-hmm. you know rastafari dealing with <laughs> natural elements you know only utilizing natural herbs and medicines and um, fibers for their clothing and veganism already is Rastafari. Like there's so many um, examples of um, black culture that is already sustainable. Um, But we're not looking to these people to be the example of sustainability because why? Because at the end of the day, you're using sustainability for another ploy to really divide or be classist or, you know, when is it never about and when is it ever not about (laughs) making money you know what i mean so and that's also not what sustainability is about sustainability is about giving the knowledge so that so that you can sustain yourself in case there is no third party however they're trying to give us the third party and saying that's sustainability sustainability is that i teach you how to heal yourself you don't come back to me it's not a continual i milk you for this same thing if I teach you something, I teach you how to sew, I teach you how to create, I teach you how to make your jar your food, make it last longer. You don't come back to me. Right. You it's it's something that you can now have and stand on your own two feet in order to go on and teach it to your uh, to the next generation and have them better mm-hmm. upon that idea. Um, it's a foundation to create better. It's a foundation to create um safer cleaner um that's really where the technology where the ideas um where the creativity where the innovation should lie not in creating the pens with the trump bobblehead with the like (laughs) no creating just wild things that we have no need for but actually creating you know like there's a a woman i think a 70 year old woman who created a suture with a beat beet dye and if there's an infection inside of you the beet dye will change the suture color will change this is where we 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 bring the innovation this is where and she's doing it with natural um with natural resources you know what i mean but i think we're it's we're so focusing on designing things for the self and Mm -hmm. for the ego and for the notoriety that we're not thinking about the collective or thinking less about how we can build upon what has already been laid down and making it better you know and I also think that people as much as people say that they want um to make create things that is better for the world if that's the case why don't you collaborate more collaborate with other people who are doing something in your field why do we have to have several hundred of the same thing because there's this competition more than collaboration when instead of having uh, 500 uh, little balls spread out all over the floor we can start to have um, you know building on top of of things and but yet again you know it's like oh well that's my that's my idea that's my intellectual Mm -hmm. property that's mine that's my Yo, do you want to create something one time that's amazing? Or do you want to be the catalyst for something that's amazing in the long term? So designing for the common good, not just for 
for yourself? Designing for the common good, yes, for sure. I mean, but it it's both. I think there's still there still can be individual fulfillment and in knowing that you've played your part, that you've done your role to make something better. So that's still very much an individualistic uh, fulfillment, as well as you know that it's not only for you, but that it's going to benefit everyone. So right. it's not, I'm not saying not to design for your individual fulfillment, but I think that anytime that you do anything to contribute, you, you give, um, you do something for the higher good or for the larger collective that you also feel good. I don't think mm-hmm. you just, you're, you're Jesus Christ, you're sacrificing your life. You're throwing yourself on the no, cross. Not at all. No, You know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course. Well, you, you, there's so many things running through my head after <laughs> what you said. Be, and I guess, like, sleep on it, call me in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Um, I guess like the first thing that comes to my mind though is like, um, you know, I'm a, my day job is I'm, a, I'm an educator, right? And a lot of people listening to this, most people probably listening to this are, are design educators. I mean, I don't know, but um, I mean, I want to do what you just said. Right. Uh, I'm, I've dedicated my life after the year 2004 is when it all kind of gelled in my head that I got to do something to, to, f- for sustainability or the climate crisis. And that includes um, issues with equity, equality, all of that is baked into it. And those areas will get worse because of climate. Right. And the people that are already feeling it will feel it magnitude 10 times worse. Who knows? Right. But what can I do is from your perspective as an educator in the classroom with the students who are going to be jumping out there one day and and they get to make these decisions. Right. Like they can have they have power. You know, how do we how do we give them like that food for thought or the tools so that they don't just perpetuate the problem that a lot of us perpetuated, you know, maybe naively or ignorantly, you know, that's what my main concern is after hearing everything from you is I don't, I don't want to perpetuate this. I want to, I want to change it. Uh, That's a big question. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you can answer it, but. It is a very big question. Um, I think education is very important. I thought to the three main things that we're looking to do is educate, educate because we believe that once people have information, they will change the behavior and alleviate. We believe that after you become educated, we can start to alleviate some of the issues that we're having both environmentally and socially and inspire. inspire. Mm. Um, So once we begin to alleviate some of these injustices, I think people will start to see, oh, okay, the connection and be inspired to do something else or do something more, do something better or do something less. Um, So for me, it's definitely uh, education. I don't know if you ever read this book called Ishmael, but it's my favorite book of all time. And it's, and what makes it my favorite is just because they say that we all live according to the stories that we've been told. Mm -hmm. And I think, and schools education is the first storytelling or the first place where we get all of these stories and we put them together to formalize or to create an idea, paint a picture of society's past, present, and 
I believe that education allows the future to be to the imagination. Like this is why you teach, you teach them the past, you teach them how that connects to where they are now and you let them feel free to design the future. And I think that we have to tell accurate stories of the past so that we can understand where we are. We didn't just get here by, by fate. It's not just that we had a, a run of bad luck. Um, I think we really need to teach stories of people first. Sustainability is people first. Um, you have to tell and talk about wherever you're getting your resources from to create whatever it is that you're looking to create or design whatever it is that you're looking to design. It's going to come from someone's community. It's going to come from a place that may not, you've never heard about, but just because you've never heard about it doesn't mean there's not people there that exist. And we need to learn more about the issues and cultural nuances that occur where we're getting our resources from. And I think that's just a place to start. I think it's in, like I said, the education, going back, telling those stories, connecting people to resource. It's not just, oh, you're, you're getting cotton from, so, oh yeah, I'm just gonna order this and I, it's gonna come. That is coming from somewhere. And where is that coming from? And is there issues being created from where that resource is coming from? You know, we talk a lot now, people are discovering more about the pipeline, understanding, you know, where our um, fuel is coming from, that it actually is going through, running through people's neighborhoods, running through people's communities that are, have been sacred for years. You look at Mauna Kea, you look at, and that's what I mean. You have to understand that you're not just simply getting a resource. Resources have to be extracted. Right. And you're going to extract, you if you're going to extract, how long does it take for that resource to regenerate? Um, look at that math. Should we be using or utilizing resources this much if it takes hundreds of years to regenerate for a product or an item that is going to only have a lifespan of 10 seconds to 10, maybe 10 years if we're lucky? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't even think people keep furniture for 10 years anymore. Whereas before furniture was like something, you know, you passed down, you kept forever, it did you well for most of your life. I think even now, you know, with, you know, we don't, we, we don't keep much anymore. So I think as an educator, I'm also an educator. So I'm always looking to make them understand that everything is interconnected and there's always dots that need to be connected. You see when there's natural disasters, then you look at the stock market. Why do you think it starts to fluctuate in stocks? Because those resources are coming from a place that has been from, from a Taiwan, from a Haiti, from a Venezuela, from a place that is feeling the climate change the most that is feeling oppression the most. And I want, I want people to understand that nothing happens in a silo. Everything mm -hmm. is interconnected. And I want them to start to begin to critical think. And once that starts happening, once um, I think our students with hella power, hella power, um, <laughs> start to understand that and realize that, that nothing is just for face value, what it is, you're not just buying a thing. The thing had to come from somewhere. Um, the the shirt had to be designed from someone. Um, the food had to be picked by someone. 
once we understand these things and and not only that they had to be created by someone who is that someone and what are the conditions that that someone is living under how is it that we can receive things so cheap just honestly look at every aspect of a thing i think there's a documentary what is like the followed the genes followed this someone they followed like the um like where the genes came from and how it it was made and you know a lot of going forward is looking back and i think that's something that we have not done too much of a lot of going forward requires even just for your life, it took two parents to make you. And then it took four to make them, to make you. You have to go back in order to even to know yourself. So to know your product, to know your design, you have to do the back work. You have to backtrack before you can go forward. Very much the arrow effect. I always say that when I take like months off or, you know, weeks off, I says I had to pull back so that I can be able to I like jump that. forward. I like that. I don't do enough of that. I think a lot of people don't do that. You know, they need to, to reflect and, and how they're just so busy running around and, and it's by design. Yeah, it is is not by design. And that's what I mean. Look at all the it's by design. And once you understand that it's by design, you will be more intentional about taking that time. Well, let's take a quick break here for some commercial messages. Most of us know what we need to do to help the planet, like more solar, trees, and more bicycles. But even the best of us can get pretty stuck with figuring out how we motivate and inspire millions of people and governments around the world to adopt change. But there is a way. My name is Katie Patrick. I'm an environmental engineer, a designer, and an author. And I interview expert PhD researchers from top universities around the world, like MIT, Harvard, and Stanford, about the psychology of environmental action. And I put these interviews out on my podcast called How to Save the World. I'm inviting you to join me on this wild intellectual journey into the heart of the environmental psyche so that we can unearth these fascinating and critical teachings we can use in our climate campaigns, programs, designs, and startups. You can find my podcast, How to Save the World, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and at anchor.fm forward slash Katie Patrick. Yeah, I agree. I, one of the, I think it was our first guest, Jasmine Sanders, uh, said to to your point um, in the classroom, if you can bring in one of those people that's working at those factories on Zoom, you know, it's hard to do. But imagine their story and what that impact would have on the students Ooh. to hear. <laughs> you know, what is it like to work? to make that shirt that you're wearing or or, whatever it is, right? I went to the Philippines for a while and had those conversations with groups of women and- You know, I imagine it's terrible. (laughs) And and the, the thing that makes it terrible is that it's terrible and they don't even see that it's terrible because it's the norm because they're so used to being oppressed. Mm -hmm. That's the part that's terrible. Yeah, that's the worst part. (laughs) Well, um, Gosh, there's there's a million, <laughs> a million questions I have, um, but we're running out of time, and I know that you have 
um, something coming up here. And I just want to know, um, to, to build upon the, you're an educator, I'm an educator. A lot of listeners are educator. Yeah. Celebrate that. We have, we have some power and we got to use it. And I'm wondering. Oh, yeah, hella power. Yeah, hella power. That's, don't think you're powerless, no matter what it is you're doing. Agreed. Where you spend your money, you're, you're voting every time. So I'm agreed totally on that. And so I always ask my guests um, if you know, they're teaching a design class and it's about um, what we've been talking about on this show. What would that, um, what would that design project or class be about like your ideal situation your ideal project to really hit home all these points or at least some of them because you can't do it all in one project or class yeah um i'm actually working on that currently um to create my workshops and curriculum um for fatra so definitely stay tuned for that um but definitely, like I said, the, the main thing for me is that everything is people. That's it. Sustainability is people. So if we're talking about uh, we can't use the plastic straws, you know, it's like <laughs> there's so much nuance in that. You know, what about uh, people with disabilities? What about... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking about plastic waste, plastic waste. What about people whose financial situation only allows them to buy, you know, uh, thing packages, you, you know, one, you not have the packages of shampoo, like just one, one time you shampoo. Like I would want to teach more so about people and cultures and how that plays a role in our everyday and how that plays a role in how things are designed and how things are designed to either include people or exclude people um how that is designed to give access to certain people and because that's that's really where it begins for me right now they're saying that the population is growing within the BRICS country you know Brazil Russia India China and new economic status is being reached in different parts of the globe that all want to have this same type of convenient wasteful lifestyle what does that look like Hmm. it's it starts with people and how people live and having people have a certain type of mentality towards environment, towards design, towards uh, global design, not only, you know, designing for the benefits and the likes of your locality. Um, So definitely my class would start about talking about the depths of sustainability, starting with people. Wow. Is there any good um, films, resources that you use or would would you like to share? Actually, I'm interested. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't, not for that specifically. I have a stack, gosh, a stack of books that I do read, um, that I have read. Uh, first one I see now is Soil Not Oil by Bandana, Bandana Shiva. Love her. Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love her. I just picked up this new one, haven't gotten through it yet, but it's a beautiful book that look. it's a uh, Bruce Mouse, 24 Principles for Designing Massive Change in Your Life and Work. Amazing. Uh, I've went wow. through a lot of that. Um, environmental- it's a beautiful book. It looks beautiful. It is actually. And so 
it's it's um just from the first page i went to my friend's house and i opened it and i said okay i have to buy it it says design the new normal design the invisible always search for the worst and that already i was like oh yeah i'm, I'm sold wow. um there is environmental racism um oh degrowth another really great book degrowth talking about doing not less of the same things we've been doing, but doing things completely different because I think that's also a, an issue that we've been having. Well, oh, we'll just buy less of this. We'll just do less of this. No, just do something completely different. You know, make your coffee at home. Don't, oh, I only buy two coffees this week. Make it at home. Do something completely different. Mm -hmm. um, there's also another book that I'm reading now that I really enjoy. It's like, I, don't, I can't see the title off. It's in the stack, but it's, uh, talking about fashion and capitalism, a really, really great book. Uh, and I think even for sure, your company Fatra is a great case study. Just oh, for sure. Oh, and, and I know you have some, <laughs> you told me in the beginning before we started recording, there's, there's a couple of shows coming up, traveling shows. Um, do you want to share that about in case some of the listeners are in that area? No, definitely. Um, so we're having our four-year anniversary and we're starting on August 18th. Our first stop is going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, after that, we're going to Columbus, Ohio. I believe, I don't remember all the dates at the top of my head, but mm -hmm. definitely feel free to visit the website. Um, H-I-F-A-T-R-A, Hi Fachala. Um, and then we're also going to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Chicago, Illinois, which Eric, I better see. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> September 20th. I remember the date. You said yes. That. So um, the Chicago uh, dates is the 20th through the 27th, and we'll have about four um, days of programming within that week. That week is also uh, design week. So even if it's not um, mainly featuring Fatra, there will be lots of other people there as well that are um, within the design space. Um, so definitely come out, check out the website. On the website, you have the opportunity to buy tickets for those events and stay tuned also to my Instagram, um, the same same handle. Hi, Hi Fatra on Instagram. Um, so yeah. Well, I'll have to come and visit you. I, I can bring you one of my denim bags that I made. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I have made them too, just um, maybe not as uh, well sewn, but they <laughs> they did uh, reuse a, a waste stream material. And I, you know, I'd love to collaborate with you. I love the collaboration. That's everything that I do is collaboration because I just can't do it on my own. I'm not smart enough. I have to work with other people. <laughs> no, but that's, that is, the, it's not even so much that you're not smart enough, you know, but everyone has new eyes, you know, right. and that's what I, I love working with my sewist team because I've been sewing for a very long time and I can create the same thing. And they're like, oh, but I do it like this. And it's like, oh, wow, I've never thought of that. Um, and that's why I think more industries should intersect, you know, the food and fashion and fashion and, you know, mental health and this and that, like there should be more intersections because we're all looking at, We'll, we can all look at the same issue and come up with very completely different mm -hmm. um, solutions. Exactly. And my experiences aren't yours and vice versa. And all of that plays into, you know, making like filling in spots that I would never have thought about. Right. You know, that is the beauty in diversity inclusion, not 
right. oh, let me throw a black chick up there. Let me throw an Asian <laughs> man. But, but that is the diversity, not only of culture, which yes, is a huge one, but also skill sets. Someone who may have graduated college, someone who may not, may, someone mm-hmm. who's making, someone who's doing, that is the DNI, not this bullshit that they're portraying for optical illusions. Right. The, the perception of diversity is different than the, the idea of inclusion, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think um, you would also be a great um, resource for our educators this episode. Um, uh, reach out to her at uh, highfatra.com. Akila, it's been awesome having you. Um, and I look forward to Chicago in September when. Uh... <laughs> Come by, say hi, get a bag, uh, learn a thing, do a workshop. Definitely. Thank well, you for having me, Eric. This has been thank great. Thank you for being on. It's been awesome. Thanks for tuning in today to Climify, but don't leave just yet. I've got more goodness for you coming up. Music. As the pandemic has really affected our friends in the performing arts, where they're unable to book shows, tour, or sometimes even get into a recording studio, I thought I'd highlight one at the end of each of our episodes. Since this is a podcast for designers, the musicians featured on each are also designers. Well, I'll turn it over to our first artist to explain who they are and the reasons behind their music. My name is Lincoln Hancock. I'm an artist, designer, and musician based in Raleigh, North Carolina. My experiences playing music and bands have totally shaped how I approach other creative and professional gigs. Everything's collaborative. Everything emerges ultimately from working with other people, contexts, and ideas. Music is just the greatest example of this because the making of it is so multifaceted and so magical. The record is just one part of its life. What you're about to hear is one facet of one piece of a project with my friends David Mueller, Missy Thangs, and Brian Shaw. The project was called Heads on Sticks. If you like it, go to Bandcamp. There is a lot more.
Thanks for listening to Climify. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To catch all the latest on Climify, you can follow us on Instagram at Climify Podcast. Climify is part of Climate Designers. Learn more at climatedesigners.org slash edu.